Amen. Thank you so much, Megan and Grace, uh, for leading us and preparing our hearts this morning. It's so good to be together. Uh, and I want to uh, just a couple introductory words in setting up this morning again on Tuesdays. We uh, like to use the phrase, we unite around witness, testimonies that encourage. So it's a time uh, we like to really give the stage over to our students and to hear uh, from one another. And as we've been in this journey of uh, beginning this month, uh, talking about identity and culture as a part of the overarching theme of identity this fall, as that pertains to an overarching year annual theme of abundant life. And so knowing who we are in Christ and knowing that when Christ um, has, uh, when he, as we've been created in Christ and recreated in Christ, we were given a body, we were given a culture, we were given a geography, we were given a time and a space for us to walk out our identity. And so for us to learn um, all the more about the culture that we have, the cultures of our brothers and sisters in this community and around the world, um, that that is a vital piece for us to be able to walk as faithful, reproducing disciples of Christ uh, towards the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And so this morning, uh, we have the privilege of hearing from one of our very own, uh, Katie St. John, who is, who's got a fan club right down here, uh, apparently, is a sophomore here at Northwestern. She is studying communications and intercultural studies with a concentration on social justice. She's on the worship, uh, the worship Arts Collective here and is also one of the vice presidents for FORCE. Uh, she loves people, loves this campus dearly, and has a heart to see UNW look more and more like Jesus, which I can share. That is definitely true. So please give a warm welcome to one of your very own, Katie St. John. And uh, would you join me in praying over her and for ourselves as she shares with us. Father in heaven, thank you that you have given us Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, as the one thing that is constant and unchanging. And I pray that through our time today, through the way that you will speak in and through your servant and your daughter, Katie, that we would have a deeper sense of the solid, unchanging ground upon which we stand. And that we would have a deeper sense of your steadfast love that calls us deeper and brings us into greater maturity in Christ-likeness. And thank you. May we taste and see of your goodness this morning. And we pray that, that Katie would be filled right now with the Holy Spirit, that she'd be a pure channel of your grace to flow through. And Lord, that our hearts would be ready soil to receive your word of truth through her. And that as she incur brings encouragement through the testimony of your grace in her life, that we would have a deeper sense of how your grace is at work in our lives as it pertains to our part um, in the greater body of this community and the body of Christ around the world. We love you. And we thank you and praise you, Jesus, for loving us first. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Northwestern. Good morning. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited, you guys. I'm so excited to be up here. Um, so like Justin mentioned, um, my name is Kay St. John. Um, and I'm, like I just said, like I'm really excited to have the opportunity to tell you my story. But way more importantly than my story, I'm excited to tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. How he has walked with me. Um, and sometimes even, like, drug me to the place that I am in now. Um, so just like Justin mentioned, we're talking about identity. That is um, a huge part of our theme for this year. Um, and this morning, I will be talking about a specific part of my journey and my testimony, where I have been the most broken, but where God has done the most healing. I want to talk to you about a part of my identity that was given to me 
by God, but has been distorted by Satan. It's something that I have in common with many of you, but when it's brought up, we often feel hurt. We often feel offended, and we often feel represented incorrectly. Some of us may never think about it, others may not want to, and a few of us just may not really understand where we should begin. Let's be honest, we all make observations when we first see somebody. For instance, when you first see me, it's pretty obvious that my body decided to stop growing in fifth grade. It's pretty <laughs> obvious that I take way too much of Billie Eilish's ideas for fashion, and it's pretty obvious that I almost never sleep because I stay up pretty much every night watching Netflix, actually not studying, but I'm pretty sure a good amount of us in the room can relate to that. Often when we look at other people, we, we, we go to, our minds go to a specific place. So we either go to the gender we perceive somebody else to be, um, we go to their physique, and we can go to their color. So this morning, I'm gonna talk about me, and I'm gonna talk about being white. And more specifically, I'm gonna talk about what it means to be a white American. And by the grace of God, I hope that y'all will listen to my story. Because I'm just here to tell you about me. I'm not here to tell you who you're supposed to be. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do that. Lean into this because I promise at the, at, at the end of anything that my God is a part of, there is always restoration, there is always joy, and there is always healing. So there are three things that God has taught me when it comes to my testimony, when it comes to my journey regarding culture, regarding my identity, and regarding whiteness. One, I have culture. Two, I have been giving, I have been given grace. And three, I have a responsibility. So just to give you some background on me, I was born in Oklahoma um, in a small little ranching community. Y'all, like, really small. Like, I basically was born next to a cow during a tornado. Okay, like, <laughs> that's where I started, okay. Um, my family is super southern very southern. My mama is from the Appalachian Mountains, and my dad is from just outside of Knoxville, Tennessee, from, uh, from Carnes. My grandma and my grandpa call everyone baby. Like, you could be 92 years old on your deathbed, and they will call you baby. And my mom probably tried to get me to drink sweet tea before pretty much anything else, like the second I was born. So that's where I started. I only lived there for about two years, um, but I always think it's valuable for us to track where we started just like we would do with anything else. So I lived there for two years, and then in 2002, my family and I moved to Dallas. Um, now, something super interesting about Dallas is that the way the city is structured is very different than how we see, like, the cities in Minneapolis and Minnesota structured. So you're walking through, like, if you were just to, like, go on this long walk, or dr drive would make more sense, through Minnesota, you, like, walk this way, and you, you're in the country, all right? You take another step and you're like, oh, maybe I'm in the suburbs. Like, I feel like I'm in the suburbs. And you take another step and you're in the cities. Something that we often see is, is wealthy neighborhoods are usually pretty far away from and don't really rub shoulders with afflicted neighborhoods. That's something that is, like, a part of Minnesota. But in Dallas, it's very different. In Dallas, you can have a mansion next to a very, very small home. You can have, like, a pool and a spa next to a place that barely even has a bathroom. And so growing up, it was super interesting for me because my neighborhood was back to back with a neighborhood that was one of the most afflicted neighborhoods in Dallas. Down the street from my house, there was a Walgreens. 
And I remember this Walgreens because it was broken into probably about four or five times a week. I know for a fact I'm being hyperbolic just a little bit, but it felt that way. Five-year-old Katie was like, why is there always police officers here? Why are all the windows always getting shattered? And that was just normal to me. I was like, that just must be how it always has been. Like, I guess Walgreens, this is just how it looks. I remember when I was five years old, um, waking up one morning, my dad telling me, I don't know if he told me when I was five, probably not, but later on he told me the story that there was one night where he um, was out kind of late, knowing him, he was probably reading a book, um, and he heard like a lot of commotion outside. And so he walked outside and he walked um, like up, we had like this little balcony that kind of overlooked our block and overlooked our neighborhood. And he was looking out and he saw these helicopters flying over our neighborhood. And it wasn't like just helicopters, like, you know, like when like the TV shows or like the channels have helicopters, it was like police, it was like police helicopters with like the spotlights and they were searching for something, but we didn't know what it was. So they were searching and there were police officers everywhere and they had guns out and like, to be honest, you know when you hear stories when you're little and then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger in your mind? It's possible that I've done that, but I'm pretty sure this is how it went. Pretty sure this is how it went. And so this is where I lived. I lived where this was normal to me, but I also every morning woke up and I put on a cute little uniform and I went to my private Christian school. And that's how, that's how I started. In 2008, God moved my sister and my parents and I up to Fargo, North Dakota. This was, yeah, whoop, whoop, yeah, that's right. Um, I was eight years old. I was just little Katie, okay. And I remember my whole first year of third grade, I got in the car and I bawled my little eyes out every day after school. And for the life of me, I couldn't understand why. I couldn't understand why I felt so different from everyone around me. And it wasn't just like, it wasn't just the students, it was the teachers, it was the principals, it was their parents. I felt so different. And for the life of me, I couldn't understand what that was because we all knew Jesus. We were all white. So what could possibly be different between me and my friends? What, what, what was it that was different? Because I, I honestly couldn't understand. I couldn't wrap my mind around what it could possibly be. So I decided it was me. I decided I was the problem. I decided that there was something wrong with me and everyone else was right, so I best do what they're doing. And there's nothing wrong with who they were, but what I didn't know was there's also nothing wrong with who I was. And looking back on this, this, this time of my life, like, it was such a challenge for me to understand this, but what I didn't realize I was going through was culture shock because I equated culture with color. So when I saw a group of white people and white parents, and when, when not only do we have Jesus in common, but school in common, and church in common, and our dinner tables look the same, I couldn't understand how there could be something so different when there were so, similar, so, so many similarities, but I realized later on in life that was because I came from a different culture. I came from a different culture. Even though we looked the same, we were very different. So in 2015, my parents and I moved from like small-ish, not like small-small, because some of us are from small-small, but like smallish town, Minnesota, to Plymouth, Minnesota, on the northeast side of the cities, right before my freshman year of high school. So I went from parking in between trucks with mud and American flags hanging off the back to parking in between Land Rovers and Jeeps. And one of my closest friend's parents owned not one, but two Porsches and a Corvette. And so my life just, it shifted. I was now stepping into another culture, into another place, into a group of people who had lived a life very different than me. And if the word culture is confusing you, let's stick with perspective. 
let's stick with experience. I was now a part of another experience that a whole group of people had experienced something similar, but I hadn't yet. My culture was very different from everyone else's. And just because I have lived up here for so long doesn't mean I didn't grow up in Southern culture because Southern culture is the literal heartbeat of my home. You walk into my house, y'all, you have no idea what's coming for you. Like my mama, she will hug you, she will feed you, and once you're fed, she'll feed you again, period. And that's just how it works in the St. John's. But knowing that I have culture helps me redefine what it means to be white, but also help me deepen my understanding of God and the precious identity he gave me. It's precious. So now I'm here standing in front of y'all, and I'm thankful for the different aspects of culture within whiteness that God has allowed me to see. Whether it was the ranching community, whether it was going to Czech Republic for multiple summers in a row and seeing that someone who looked so similar than me, to me had such a different culture than I did, and getting to learn to love them in that place helped me actually love people who are a part of different cultures and different color. So, in case we aren't uncomfortable yet, let's get really uncomfortable. It's okay that I'm white. And it's okay if you're white too. There's something much deeper at play here and Satan loves this. Satan loves this. He loves when we stop at the part where we have decided that if acknowledging what it means to be white means that shame is all that will be handed to us. Satan loves telling us that if we acknowledge what it means to be white, then we're propagating racism. But when you acknowledge what it means to be white, which I'm telling you this based off of my story, which is why I'm continuing this on, because I'm white. <laughs> when you acknowledge that, you're acknowledging part of the identity that God gave you. And when you choose to put that aside and not acknowledge it, you're choosing to put aside part of the identity that God gave you. And that will tear your heart in half. That will cause an identity crisis deeper than anything that we can ever imagine. And the thing is, is most of us in this room are in that identity crisis. Because we don't know, we don't understand. So within the past two years, I realized that Satan has been lying to me my whole life. Now, obviously, right, we all know that. We're all aware that Satan's been lying to us. He's annoying. He does that. But me believing that culture was only existent within color is just the tip of the iceberg of my story. In John 8:44, it talks about Satan. It says he's a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar, the father of lies. So when Satan speaks, his literal language is lies. And when he writes, he is the author of confusion. And he, this has played into so many areas of my life, but one prominent one is more specifically this topic for me. This topic, honestly, for our country. This topic for the church. He loves this topic. He loves to confuse us. He loves to steal and kill and destroy an integral part of our very identities. When I realized how much Satan had been lying to me regarding this part of my identity, my heart broke. I went through an identity crisis. Because he has used movies and media, he has used the education system, and he has used the church to lie to me my whole life. He's used those things for joy. He's, like, God has used those things for joy. God has used those things for truth. But Satan loves to mess, y'all. Satan loves to mess. I'm going to give some examples. The way the black community was betrayed in movies was and still can be how I see anybody in the black community that I'm not in proximity with. 
I was sent the same message over and over. This isn't safe, stay away. Many of us in here were sent that same message. And it's okay to acknowledge we were sent that message. It's part of the growth process. The education system told me all about the Holocaust and unpacked the fears and the evil there for me at a very young age, but says we came over to the Americas and settled comfortably and peacefully with the natives and we were really nice. When in reality, we had killed millions of indigenous people and still are. And the church, the church that I love, the church that I love, let me make this clear, the church that I love and will always love and always be a part of because it's you, it's the body of Christ, it's me. The church didn't say anything about it. The church was silent. The church never talked about this. And the minute it did, everyone freaked out because it seemed political, but it's biblical. Satan wants us to believe it's political. Satan is the enemy, not me, not my whiteness, not you, not your whiteness, not him, not his blackness. Satan is the enemy, and he loves to mess. But y'all, this is in the Bible. This is part of our identities. This is part of our truth. But here's the deal. I am far from perfect, okay? I'm not here because I got it. I will never be up here because I got it. I'm always going to be up here because I don't, but Jesus got me. So I'm here to say, don't run from it. Don't run from it. Don't run from an integral part of your own identity. Because there's grace. Because there's grace around every corner. Because Jesus died for us. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't just die for my pride, okay? He didn't just die for my gossip. He died for my racism. And something that always sets us back, something that makes us afraid, something that makes me want to back up and kind of like run out here and just like go to the building and get something to eat, is the fact that this is uncomfortable. It's the fact that we love to talk about our pride, we love to talk about our gossip, we love to talk about homosexuality, we love to talk about lust, but we don't ever talk about how racism is a sin that is ingrained into us. And without repentance of our sin, we can't acknowledge the grace of the Jesus Christ who died for us. If we don't acknowledge our sin, we can't acknowledge how vast his grace is for us. Because where we are weak, he is strong. And so I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell me that in my journey, something that Jesus has taught me is that when I am able to look into the face of one of my greatest sins, when I have been able to look it into the face and acknowledge that it exists and be broken about it and to work through it and be angry about it and be uncomfortable and be pissed because I don't like the conversation, when I have been allowed to do that, his grace comes in. His grace doesn't show up for Katie St. John who walks into conversations about race and says the right thing. His grace showed up for the girl who had no idea what she was talking about and said some really wrong things and still does. Because that is who he is. That is who my God is. I'm going to say something bold. That wouldn't be so bold if we didn't feel so attacked by this subject. If it wasn't so scary for us to understand and comprehend. Jesus died for my sins. He died for your sins. And I think Jesus can handle also giving us grace when we take steps to understand and uncover what it means to be white in a country that looks like ours. To not acknowledge racism and not acknowledge how much it affects us keeps us from acknowledging who Jesus is. In Psalms 103, it says, just to condense it, he who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love 
steadfast love and mercy. That is what meets us around the corner of this conversation. Not hate, not shame, but steadfast love is what meets us around the corner. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. For as far as the east is from the west. Y'all, that's far. <laughs> like, the, it just keeps going. That's the point. Like, it just keeps going. Like, my sins are that way. I'm going this way. That is salvation. That is the gospel. And that applies to this conversation. <clears throat> so I've been given grace. I've been given grace. Praise God, because Lord knows I need it. <laughs> but I also have been given a responsibility. When I was 11 years old, my parents and my sister and I went on a mission trip to Poland. I remember being, like, so excited that I told everyone in my fifth grade class, and then they all got, like, really annoyed with me because, like, I wouldn't shut up about it. I was like, where are you going to be next week? Are you going to be at school? Cool. I'll be in Europe. Have fun in school. Have fun in class. But I'll be having fun, so too bad. And I was so excited because we were doing this little, like, family mission trip. So my mom was going to, like, love the women. My dad was going to love the men. My sister was going to hang out with the teenagers, and I was supposed to, like, hang out with the kids, even though if you know anything about me, I'm not good with kids at all. But I was so excited, okay? So we spent like about a week and a half there working with like missionaries, feeding into them, pouring into them, and loving them. And then around the end of our trip, we were like, hey, we're in Poland. <laughs> That's cool. And so we decided that we were going to go ahead head to Krakow to see the city, to see the history, and to see the culture. Now, y'all, some families, okay, some parents, when their kids are 11 years old, they bring them to Disneyland, okay? My parents brought me to Auschwitz. I was 11, okay, and I went to <laughs> the literal largest German Nazi camp that came out of World War II. That's where my parents brought me when I was 11. If that doesn't explain a lot about who I am as a person, I don't know what does. <laughs> At this concentration camp, over 1.1 million people were killed. And I remember walking through, little Katie, actually I was probably the same height, not gonna lie. I remember walking through, and there were like glass rooms full of stuff. So there's this room. This room had shoes. Now, I'm not just talking like shoes you see at Nordstrom. I'm talking like little baby shoes. Like a two-year-old girl's shoes. Like a 75-year-old woman's shoes. A human's shoes that were taken off of them and thrown into a pit. And then in the next one, there were crutches. There were prosthetics. There were glasses. There were blind, little, never mind, I don't know what I'm talking about. There were, there were canes, there were wheelchairs, things that were integral to the existence of human beings stripped from them. But y'all, you want to know what was in the next room? Hair. Hair was in the next room. And I remember looking at I remember looking at it and being like, God, what on earth? How is this possible? How could something be so evil? How could something be so wrong? How could something hate something else so much? And if Hitler isn't the Antichrist, Lord help us. I can't believe that just came out of my mouth. I'm sorry. <laughs> but not only that, you kept walking, okay? I don't know why I just went backwards, but it got dark down there. So, like, you kept walking, and then you get to this little table, and on this table are 
some Nazi like uniforms, Nazi outfits. And there's this little piece of paper by it that says, the hair from the Jewish people was used in the clothing of the most well-loved and most known Nazi officers in World War II. The hair. DNA, part of their identity, part of their body, part of how God created them was dehumanized to the point that they were worn as clothing by those who murdered them. And I was 11 years old. I am far from perfect. I started researching this stuff per near, like, right before college. I started learning about this stuff right before college when it, came, when it comes to this world that I'm in now. But when I came back from Auschwitz, when I came back from Poland, I remember walking into my fifth grade classroom and I was mad. I was like, y'all don't know what I've seen, okay? You don't get it. I've seen it. This is what I've seen. Why don't you see it? And that was not the right attitude to have. The right attitude to have is, I didn't see it, but I'm learning to. Do you want to come with me? Do you want to come alongside me and learn together? I've been given a responsibility. I've started to see that many things I had done with no mal or no racist intent had been received as racism and that others lived different lives and different storylines than mine. And even though we are on the same American soil, our lives are so much different. Today marks the end of Latinx Heritage Month. The Latinx community has helped build our country. This year alone, there have been more than one mass shootings targeting this community due to dehumanization and hate. Families have been separated and people have been put in cages. Many fear losing loved ones to ICE on a daily basis. And the thing is, is that these, y'all, bear with me. I just, these are people. They're people. Just like I'm people, just like you're people. Just like your roommate is people, your professor is people, they're people. And Satan loves to, to take away from that. We recognize they're people, but just a little less. Satan loves to do that, y'all. And Satan's done that to me. We live on the same soil, but how I got here and what I gained from this country is the same thing that hurts people of color and creates more and more obstacles for them. So take a deep breath. I know we're just getting uncomfortable and it's already 10.31 and I have to walk to Mel, so just bear, like, bear with me, y'all. We can do this. I, pr I promise we can do this. I say none of this to shame you. First of all, I'm talking about me, so I'm not coming at y'all a lot. I'm talking about me, I promise. <laughs> and I also say none of this to misrepresent your identity in Christ. But I say this because in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, it says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, over the every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I like how it says it like 18 times in a row. It's like, he created us, update, he created us in his image, he created us. It's like, repetition is used in the Bible to make a point. So I'm pretty sure that's what's going on here. <clears throat> Y'all, I say all of this because of our identities in Christ and not despite them. I say this because of your identity in Christ, not despite it. I say it because of my identity in Christ, not despite it. I am an image bearer. I am made fully in the image of God as a woman, as a white person, as someone who has a unique culture. Image of God is my identity, but so are you. 
but so are those different than me. I cannot use my normal as a measuring stick to someone else's being made in the image of God. And Satan loves to do that. So I ask you to examine your life. Not out of because I've done it, but because I'm trying to do it. I ask you to examine your testimony and look at this, a side of it that you may have not recognized before. I'm not here to shame you. I will say it again. I will scream it in the billy. I will yell it in the green. I am not here to shame you. I'm here to tell my story. And all of our stories look different, and that's okay. Because part of my testimony is that I have learned that I have culture. I have learned that I have been given grace. And I have learned that I have a responsibility. So I ask you, ask yourself, do you have culture? Have you received this grace by stepping into your cultural and ethnic identity? Are you willing to step into the responsibility, responsibility that you have to do something, to move closer, to try to see better what you couldn't see before, to educate yourself on history, and to start listening to stories regarding what is said as their real truth? And, and my real responsibility, like, are you willing to step into your responsibility to change? As a white person, I have a choice. I can choose to walk away. I can choose to never see it. I can choose to be hurt and to be scared and run away. And I have made these choices. And I might still do it again. But as a follower of Christ and as an image bearer, I have a call in my life to obedience, to never walk away from these conversations, to never walk away from my identity, to always move closer, to always ask questions, and to overcome my fear and my hurt and step closer in love. To step closer in love. So Father God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the grace extended to us. Because grace received is grace extended. So Lord, help us receive the grace that you offer. And help us extend it to the people around us. Help us to intentionally love. To make a choice to step out, of, out in obedience. To make a choice to step out in grace. To make a choice to step out in, in responsibility, Lord. We thank you for all that you are. We thank you for all that you've done. God, don't let Satan mess with the message this morning. I pray that your truth would break chains, would break boundaries and break down walls. We love you, we thank you, and in Jesus' name I pray, amen.